Big Adventures with Brian Durker is brought to you by Arizona River Runners. Just getting started on your own big adventures? Arizona River Runners' three-day Grand Canyon heli, ranch, and raft trip blends authentic western ranch experience with world-class whitewater. Explore secret waterfalls and drift to sleep on the banks of the Colorado River under a blanket of stars. Longer trips are available as well. Let Arizona River Runners take care of the details on your own big adventure. Visit RaftArizona.com. It's Big Adventures with Brian Derker. We've got Lou Steiger today, and he is absolutely one of my oldest buds. He's been a boatman all his life. He's still a fully active boatman like I am. And uh, we go way back in lots of different directions. Now, Lou's got a lot going on. He's a cinematographer. He's a sound guy. He's uh, done all the interviews with our famous people. Just real similar mission to this mission here at Big Adventures, getting people's story down and finding out what people have done, what they're doing, and what possibly they've got planned. So, Lou, welcome, welcome, welcome. Everybody else... Make yourself super comfortable, and let's enjoy our time with Lou Steiger. I think these guys could all see the writing on the wall, they were getting ready to impose a quota. At that time, anybody that wanted to be an outfitter could, all you had to do was hang out a shingle and say, I'm an outfitter, you know, and get somebody to go with you. The original permits. Yeah, yeah. there was very little regulation. And um, prior to, there'd already been this thing that happened where Joe Tonsmeyer and Steve Bledsoe, these two hatch boatmen, famous motorboatmen of their day, had gone to the park and asked to speak to the outfitters meeting and and uh, Joe Towns the way I heard it was Joe Tonsmeyer stood up at the outfitters meeting and said the canyon's getting trashed it's getting too crowded down there there's fire pits everywhere and there's cigarette butts everywhere and where everybody was burying their human waste in the sand and you know it was getting to be a mess and Joe Tonsmeyer told the outfitters we need to think you guys need to start thinking about having a quota and we need to start running trips down there and cleaning up after ourselves and so he said that to the meeting and the way i heard it was the outfitters all frowned and scratched their chins and the park frowned and scratched their chin and and uh, after the meeting was over ted pulled him aside and he said well thanks for sharing joe and by the way you are fired (laughs) (laughs) yeah that wasn't that wasn't does that sound about right yeah i think i've heard big similarities well because that isn't exactly outfitter speak no well that that hurt their feelings that that they were going to impose this quota but these guys could all see it coming but let's loop this thing back to uh lou so I hiked down, we, we jump on the boats there at Pipe Creek and we, and I was on uh, Tom Moody's boat and I, and I wanted to sit in the, right in the front. <laughs> and so I got in the front and we went down, we ran all the big rapids, you know, Granite and Hermit and everything. And we ended up camping at Lower Bass that night. That was the last time I ever wanted to sit in the front of the boat. <laughs> yeah, you were frozen. <laughs> I was frozen, you know, from then I was like, I like it in the back a lot better than I do up in the front. But I remember we got to camp and having been in Boy Scouts, 
Uh, I heard there was going to be steaks for dinner that night. And so I thought, so I started gathering up wood and I was getting ready to make a little fire. And somebody came and asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm going to make a fire so I can cook me and my dad's steaks <laughs> for us, you know, because that was the way we did it in Boy Scouts when we were camping out. They made us all cook our own dinners. Somebody asked me what I was doing and I explained that to him. And he said, no, 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 they're going to cook them take that wood into the kitchen they're going to cook all the steaks for everybody in there and i was like they're going to cook them for us <laughs> a whole new world wow. got so opened I, up to yeah. lose stagger so i went in there with my little armload of wood and fred was in there and he saw me coming and he's like good job kid put that wood over there now here go clean this dutch oven you know and he just put me to work and off you went to the races so then yeah uh sequentially you just became a boatman yeah, pretty much. Probably never missed a beat. Well, no, it took a little, you know, we were lucky. I feel like both me and you in the sense that it was wide open. And oh, yeah, if you had a beating heart and a... Yeah, a warm body. They, well, they, and they liked the kids that worked. Yeah. And we had yeah. that one figured out at an early age. Well, it's pretty, yeah. Back then, I mean, we cooked on wood. We buried the human waste in the sand. The equipment was really rudimentary. Arizona River Runners was headquartered at Vermilion Cliffs. And uh, at the end of that first trip I did, Fred said, well, you'll have to come back someday and work your way on another trip for free for us. And so I wrote him about five letters that winter. <laughs> this had been in the fall that we went. And I wrote him letters all winter long and just, hey, remember that thing you said? And he said, all right, already you can <laughs> yeah, go. pretty much. Well, he he had me come out. And so as soon as high school was out the next year, I, you know, I was 16 years old. I just had my driver's license and I drove up there to Vermilion Cliffs to start working on the river. Vermilion Cliffs at that time, they didn't even have phones there. The last phones were at Bitter Springs. If you go 89. Right it, back when they were booking trips on the truck phone. Yeah. There's as a, legend has it. If I were to guess, you got there out of high school, and you didn't see the river immediately, but you saw the other end of a paintbrush or a file or a drill. Or well, I got there, and they took me around Vermain Cliffs. Carol, you know, they greeted me and stuff, and Carol says, come on, get in the truck, and I'll show you. My, I was going to be the warehouse boy. That was the job they That's had. That's what I was leading to. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I so they, so to. I drive all around Vermilion Cliffs, which is much smaller than it is now. They show me all these fifty-five gallon drums. This is the gar, you know, this is where all the garbage goes, and it's your job to pick it up. And then they take me to the dump, which there was a drainage about halfway between Vermilion Cliffs and Marble Canyon, <laughs> and uh, there was a little side canyon running right down into the river. But at the head of this side canyon, that's where everybody in the region dumped their garbage. <laughs> right. I mean, it was well, back in the any, day. There wasn't anybody coming to get it, you know, and so. It disappeared once it went down in there. Well, it just, we just were throwing it over the edge. But I took stock of all this, and they said, now we're going to send you on a river trip. You know, and then you can settle into your job. But they had about four or five of us. That were, oh, of course that, they did. You know, p potential swamper candidates. And so they sent us all down the river on this trip that, you know. Just Left to, you guys to fight it over? Well, pretty much. And, yeah, and that's uh, basically it. We had Pete Resnick and uh, this guy named Bill Burnt were the boatmen. And Carol was on this trip. And I just decided, you know what? To heck with being the warehouse boy. 
you know, I'm going to do everything I can on this river trip to show them that this is where I belong. Yeah, the river boy. And so I just... From where I was boy, the river yeah, boy. I just did everything at a dead run. And I made sure I was yep. the guy that lit the fire and, you know... Oh, yeah. And did all this... Slept stuff. on the bow line to keep just, an eye on the boat. Just did whatever had to be done. And it, and, uh, it was pretty funny. Back then, we, I, we had a monomanic flush toilet that hooked up to a 12-volt car battery. You primed it with a galvanized bucket full of water and then put the blue goo in and then people could sit in there and push the button and flush it you know but the swamper's job was to dig a big hole and dump that in the in the sand every morning so that was i made sure i was always the guy i was that same guy over on my side yeah still still are we're the same guy but i'll never forget our first night on the trip we went and camped at house rock which used to be a big camp everybody a lot of people camped there, there very was a popular big yep. beach under that rapid and we camped there and me and gary lewis set up the toilet tent and our first customer in there was carol burke oh, no. <laughs> and there was a big she was in there doing whatever she was doing and there was a big gust of wind came up and blew that tent down on carol <laughs> i thought i was pretty sure that was the you'll never see why water again yeah but it worked out. They just decided at the end of that trip to keep me on the river. Well, you worked hard. I, I did, and I think that's what we all have that, in common. That's I, what we had to do. Yeah, I mean, now that we're old and gray and resting on our laurels, you don't. some of us don't work as good as others. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into that. But, Let's talk about you've worked for a lot of different companies, and uh, you've moved along. You've been a motorboatman, a rowboatman. Uh, these days, you're a dory boatman. And since we're limited on overall time, I'd like to move through your career. All these years, you run these different boats. You do these commercial trips. You kind of land in your favorite boat, which is your dory now, from what I can tell, the way you dote over it. Well, there's two different ones that I do. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're a dory man now. And you're still doing a bunch of trips every year. But I have to say, I've always really admired, you know, uh, it's not always easy running those boats through there at low water or against the wind and stuff like that. You've had a fantastic work ethic through your career. And so that should be said here on the air. Lou, you're a heck of a guy. Well, that's nice of you to think so, Brian. But with that... Uh, you have, like I have, uh, spent all these years and gotten to know the community. And that brings up a real interesting conversation I want to have with you in regards to uh, some of the other stuff Lou does. And it, with that, it's interviewing a bunch of the different people from this community, from Grand Canyon, dedicated, lifelong characters and he's interviewed him for a publication called The Boatman Quarterly, but also for the archives. And can you kind of go into the start of that? And to make a long, to try to make a long story short, I have a twin brother named Gail. And the way that I got started recording oral histories on the river was Gail accidentally. He's a songwriter, and in the mid-1980s, he accidentally got us a grant, long story there, to make a documentary about cowboys. He's a cowboy. He's the foreman of the Spider Ranch now, and we he, we got this grant to make a documentary about real cowboys and, you know, what that life was like. And it was right during the time when Waylon and Willie were really popular, and anybody that had a cowboy hat and a pickup truck was calling themselves a cowboy, and we thought that was amusing. 
based on, you know, my brother was kind of working, doing the real thing. So we ended up making a movie about that and I helped him with it and uh, he felt like he owed me. And so we kind of had it in our minds to that we were going to make a movie about river runners that would be similar to the one to our cowboy movie. And so in the course of that, the first thing that we decided to gear up and shoot was Georgie White's 80th birthday party. I remember that party. Yes. And I, I'm one of the unsung heroes of that, I like to think, because, uh, and when we all heard about it, everybody embraced the notion of having that party. But I remember sitting at, the, at a board meeting of Grand Canyon River Guides and and we were all kind of sitting around saying, well, great, you know, this is going to be great. We're going to have Georgie White's birthday party. And uh, how cool is that? But what on earth are we going to give her for her birthday? And I was sitting in the board meeting, and you can ask Dan about this. And <laughs> I had the idea. I said, well, let's give her Brian. <laughs> 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 and just off the top of my head, you know, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. So that's how that came. Well, that's my story, and you should check with uh, Dan on that, you know, how we remember things differently. Differently in our, in our, in our Yeah, as, <laughs> as we get older. But uh, that's the way I remember it was. I was like, let's give it. Was it was a heck of a party. It was a heck of a party. And uh, I will say this. Uh, for the listener, this is a big party for probably the most famous female that ever lived uh, in Grand Canyon. And, and she was the woman of the river, Georgie White. And she was a friend. I was lucky enough as a kid to get pretty close to her because my boss had used to work for her and he left me at the ferry and, oh, I helped her rig her boats and we we became friends, you know. She kind of put me under her wing quite a bit. And so I just adored the old lady and, uh, you know, you really you Google up Georgie White, Woman of the River, and read some of her stuff. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal? Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's her 80th birthday, so it was a tremendous honor to be asked to jump out of Georgie's cake. To segue from what Louie was leading towards, one thing I will tell you, there can be 450 people at the party, but when you get out of the cake, if you're jumping out of a cake, you're all alone. (laughs) In the room. Yeah, especially if you got a skin leotard on and stuff like that. (laughs) No, it's a phenomenal honor to have that. And all that made it into a a movie that was made by Don Briggs, which came out shortly after that. And when Briggs, it's called River Runners of the Grand Canyon. And did he, did you work with him on that? I gave him some of that. I did give him some footage. I did give him some of that footage. But when the movie came out, I looked at it, it was so good, I thought, and I looked at it, and I I thought, well, why make another river movie? This is the only one, this is fine, you know, there's no, I think it it was the greatest movie on the history of river running in Grand Canyon that that ever will be. No, it was very cool. Yeah, it was Very cool, cool. and uh, what's it called? River Runners of yeah, the Grand River Canyon? Yeah, River Runners of the Grand Canyon, and it's by, long by, uh, by Don Briggs. Don Briggs, it's worth picking up. It really is, and everybody talks about how it's too long, I mean, it, it was two and a half hours long or three hours long. Martin Scorsese just released a movie called The Irishman that's about it's three, three and hours and a half long. Hours. I, too, I, yeah. but, I watched uh, it. Well, that was Briggs's thing. You know, I was like, boy, Don, you could really go somewhere with this if you could just cut it up and yeah. make it an hour or hour and a half. But, Brig, you know, the way it is, it's two and a half It's, it's a hours. very cool film, and it, it, it's you can't uh, – 
you know, you can't always get it all said. I mean, even this conversation no, I'm having with it, you can't get it no, even touched. In no, an hour. you just scratch the surface. To move on with that. So then you had that technical bug too. Well, I just knew I, for our movie that I'd made with my brother, I was the sound man. And so I had a little recording experience. And uh, after the party was over, we were at another GCRG board meeting and uh, we were congratulating ourselves on how good the party went and all this stuff. And and I was talking about, yeah, I'd happened to get a really good couple of interviews, one with Georgie. There was a good one with Kenton, too, that I had forgotten about, but a few others. And uh, we were patting ourselves on the back for that. And uh, somebody said, yeah, well, you need to do that with all the old timers. And I took a big swig of my beer and sat it down and went, yeah, that's a good idea. And they were all looking at me and I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so fun, I found that I was assigned by Kenton and your brother Dan was there. Right, right. Know, and those guys. Fantastic. They're concept. all looking at well, they're all looking at me like get right on it, you know, start start doing these. We need to record oral histories with all these old timers before we lose them. So I You got a tremendous uh list of people that you Yeah, have, well, have it, had it, and a lot of it's chronicled in in the BQR. Yeah, which is good. available that way, isn't it on the internet or Yeah, they put them dig, all up. They just now dig them all up. Yeah. Well, they've just put all of them Every one of them, they scanned them, they're PDF files, and you can go online and look back at all the old issues. The thing uh, also in regards to this tremendous file you have of interviews and such, uh, Lou, you're you're still continuing to do some or – you got some funding for for it. Do you still have funding to where you can continue these um, interviews? And where are you at with it now? There was a variety of grants that came along. There were, a, you know, that kind of funded the thing for quite a while. And I think GCRG, now the, the funding is ongoing through Grand Canyon River Guides. There's not a dedicated fund anymore. We've gone through all that money, but Grand Canyon River Guides has had some good support from some generous donors, and and they're funding it out of the out of the general coffer now to to keep the you know to keep that project ongoing. Uh, now there's others that are starting to do them. Richard Corderoli's done a bunch of them here lately, and Mary Williams just did a really nice one with Ellen Tibbetts. I'm kind of looking to take us step back. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't, I got tired of being the only guy we did a, oh, a tremendous amount of work. Well, it was fun for me when I was just working off of grants and I could pick who I wanted to do. And there wasn't, there didn't seem to be a huge hurry. We obviously you had to come up with four of them a year, but, um, I liked it when I could kind of choose, but we ran, we went through a couple, we had a grant from the Southwest foundation for historical education and preservation and and that really got us off the ground. Then we had a humanities grant, and and that helped continue the thing. And then there was a time when we were looking for funding, and Richard Corderoli came up with this idea, Adopt a Boatman, where he said, let's just, what do you think about this? People can just send in money to have their favorite boatman interviewed. That's how you got adopted, Brian. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, well, oh, yeah. There would have had to have been some reason. Uh, yeah, but uh, when that program I didn't really think too much about it at the time we started it, but once was initiated, that 
took a lot of the fun out of it for me because all of a sudden all these people send you yeah, money yeah. and then it was like, oh my you God. You kind of got deliverables. Well, and now, yeah, now they're waiting to see. Yeah, yeah they want to see their person you know, put in there. So that made it more like a grind for me. And But what a fantastic thing. It's a, a treasure trove of, of conversations with people. It's what we're looking for. And I really look forward to a continued effort to get some of those on, on the show here when we can. But I'm also super interested in your immediate and future projects. What do we got there? I, after Don Briggs' movie came out, River Runners of the Grand Canyon, I just packed all the footage that I had with the, of Georgie's party and, and another, there was another trip that you were also involved in. Oh, the old timers. We called it the old timers trip. Yeah. For a while there, we called it the legends trip, but then there were some people that hadn't been invited on it (laughs) 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 and that their feelings got hurt. It was was delicate business. So we had to, we couldn't call it that anymore. We had to call it the old timers trip. You guys, I was the motor boatman on the old timers trip and we figured it out. There was over a thousand years of people sitting on my boat. Yeah. Well, it was a classic. It's a lot of old people. It was a classic Kenton grew up project for sure. Anyway, he he kind of engineered it. And the premise was that we had eyewitness testimony from all these people who had seen the Grand Canyon before Glen Canyon Dam. And now they were coming back after the dam had been around for 30 years. And they were going to look the river over and... Yeah, compare it to the river that, that they had known before the yeah well it was a good concept i got signed up by kenton to go and record all that and to oh by the way ride with martin Litton and his dory <laughs> oh yeah and oh, then yeah. kenton had his dory yeah then we had a motorboat we had a cataract boat yeah. lots of cool stories there were from but, that but uh i lined up all this equipment to do the trip and and we were Kenton assured me that the government was going to pay for it. <laughs> it was for historical reasons. But at the last second, the government pissed backwards on me for that trip. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. so did, I never knew that. Yeah. You ate all that? $4,000 worth of <laughs> tape and rental stuff, you know, and we recorded. Um, oh, wow. And we ended up with 46 hours of tape. And I, I, was, I was like, well, I'll have to do something with this. But I couldn't, just the thought of, sitting down just oh yeah process. just the editing process so so i basically it. boxed up all the stuff from georgie's party and from the old timer strip and it and that stuff sat in a dry dark room at the spider in the barn at the spider ranch <laughs> for 30 years but i had been twitching about it here recently because videotape is only known to last 25 or 30 years and it's it had been bothering me because i was thinking oh my gosh I can't just let this stuff rot. I need to do something. I wanted to get it digitized and up in the cloud. And so last year, last fall, I pitched the outfitters. I asked them for a grant, and I got some money out of the Colorado River Fund to digitize all that stuff. Oh, good. Good for you. You're smarter than you look. Well, and so I, I made them pay me by the hour to digitize it and to put it up on YouTube. Oh, cool, cool. And so that's what I've been doing lately. It's pretty interesting to realize, you know, kind of how things go. But I think you and I were really lucky in that we were kind of there on the on-ramp of the industry. And uh, it's a whole different story now uh, for a young 
Volman to get into the business and to, to like you've got to have a big old bankroll to get into it as an outfitter to start things because you got to buy somebody else out. But even just the competitiveness of these young people getting into the business, oh, yeah. uh, it's a whole different deal. I mean, you and I got hired as early teens, you know, because we worked hard and, and uh, oh, there yeah. was nobody else standing there. No, they needed, they, were need, they needed any warm bodies. It's a whole different there. thing. Yeah. But I want to capture that in, in this, uh, this season. Now, on a serious note, Lou, you've lived outdoors just like I have all your life. And you look around at the protected lands. And, and I, I'll be honest, I'm concerned about shrinking protected public land due to administrations uh, as as the pendulum swings back and forth. I've used that one before. But uh, the global warming and the whole tempo of uh, advance of humanity on our wilderness and on our, our natural world, uh, what are your deeper feelings about where we're sitting right now? Right this second? Oh, I think we're in deep shit. Honestly, you look at the democratic process and what's become of it right now, it's really discouraging. Uh, I, I look at the two, when it comes to Grand Canyon, I look at the two dam, you know, these these uh, hydropower projects for, you know, that are proposed now for the little Colorado, you know, and that's a concern. But a bigger concern in my mind, like when it comes to Grand Canyon, Georgie White says, when I talked to her in 1990, she said, well, these beaches are going and they're going to go, <laughs> you know, you're going to, you guys are going to be camping on rocks. Well, eventually. and that's, I'm excited uh, that you bring her up because I honestly think you nailed it earlier in our conversation here in that the way she was at a molecular level with the natural world of her generation, you and I have a different thing than she had because of the dams and because of, uh, clear water versus that and no high flows and uh, vegetation down to the river. It's yeah. still a wonderful thing, but you got to think about who, what are the guys after us going to have? I, I remember we used to talk about the, you know, the disappearing beaches is a hypothetical. It was something that was going to happen over time. But don't you think that's now totally tangible to me? I look at, I don't you think the beaches are way smaller oh, no, now than when no, we started? It is. As a matter of fact, and, and uh, it's a it's a big sub subject, the sediment in Grand Canyon. And and before the dams, it was a sediment rich system. In the spring and early summer, the water would come way up because it was the drainage to the Rockies. Uh, and uh, this huge river system gushed down through the Grand Canyon, and it would average 120,000, but sometimes get up to 400,000 on the high flows, and scour everything and leave behind a bunch of sand, where now it's a much more dormant scenario in that the dams there, the most we'll see even on a flood event is 42,000, and that helps us with the sand that's left because they're, they've found that you can pull sand up into usable beach material, but it is slowly erodes and goes to the bottom of the river. And the replacement is really restricted to the Perea and, and the little, little Colorado. So 
And the, I think it's pretty amazing what we've learned about the sediment transfer down there, but it has steadily gone away and eventually downstream. Yeah, and it's really a concern. We The whole focus of Grand Canyon River Guides at the time of Georgie's party, you know, when we got started, we, we kind of zeroed in on, well, we want to do the best we can for the Grand Canyon. And that we locked in on, we wanted to get this law passed, the Grand Canyon Protection Act. And when was that? Was it 1994? Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, Tom yeah. and Dan and yeah. you and I, yeah, and Kenton. I, and... I remember talking, I think that was, I think Tom Moody was the unsung hero there. Yeah, he I was. He, I think he went on a trip with your brother and Jack Schmidt. Uh, Jack Schmidt is a well-known sedimentologist, a scientist who was teaching at a what, Wesleyan University or something, and those guys went on a trip. I remember Tom Moody telling me about this, and your brother too, Dan. But explain the act. Well, the Grand Canyon Protection Act, they, they decided on this river trip that what we needed to do was pass a law. We didn't need to get into the where's and why's, but what was needed for the Grand Canyon was a law that said that they had to take into account the downstream resources of Glen Canyon Dam with all the management decisions that they make involving the operation of the dam. And they had to run the dam for the benefit of the downstream resources as opposed to the detriment of them, basically. No, it's a big deal. Right? Yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> I need pretty to read up right on, on it because it, well, I'm, I think it's a great concern now. We just had, I was on a, a trip last year and I met the brand new. Bureau of Reclamation guy who just he was on a on a Grand Canyon Monitoring and Research Center trip and he had just taken office five days before and now he was going to be the new guy and and he was in charge of Glen Canyon Dam among others and I had this little visit with him and uh, he talked to me and I told him my big concern which is if you're going to run this artificial system and you want to take care of the beaches, then you shouldn't have the highs get too high on a regular basis. Because in my mind, what really carries that sand is flows above 12 or 13,000. What I see is once it gets up, you know, 15, 16, that's when you really start seeing it. Well, and also the duration of the high well, and how that up ramp and down ramp are. I, but in, in, in a favor of our listener though, that's a big deal, having protection. And so I guess let's get back to my original question. How do we get it to the people in the cities? How do we get it to young people, get them away from their phones? How do we get them to the place that we benefited when we were their age or young people? I was talking to George Went, who was the founder of ORS, about river running business a few years ago. George is no longer with us, but George had an interesting comment just in terms of who runs the river. And George said to me, it's our generation. It's the baby boomers that camped out. You know, we grew up camping out. <laughs> we grew up with this vision of there's two worlds. There's the outdoors and there's the indoors. We liked the outdoors better. That's why we keep doing what we're doing, I think. But you look at who mostly buys these river trips and it's it's always been people our age. <laughs> Throughout, you know, the ba the, the younger generation, I don't even know which ones, we're the baby boomers, and then there's Gen X and Gen Y and millennials. I don't even know how to sort all that out. But those people aren't interested in camping. 
because there are other pressures on them. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, so many choices. And, uh, no, I mean, and I don't think that I don't know what's going to happen to Generation H. Yeah, what hope. is going to happen? Generation Hope. Uh, yeah, but where? But why? Why is there concern right now? Just the way politics are going. You look at the current administration, and uh, well, and just the the way the game is. There were people that used to be concerned. Those World War II guys, Martin Litton, Fred Burke, they were concerned about doing the right thing. And and uh, Fred Burke was on the right side of the pendulum there. Martin Litton was left, you might say. There were two ends yeah, of the political. Yeah, that's a good analogy, well, those were, two individual There were two ends of the personalities that clanked somewhere in the Grand Canyon, uh, right? Two ends of the political spectrum, but they were both concerned. They were When push came to shove, they would when they had to make a decision, they they would always take into account, well, what's the right thing to do here? There's a great, I was hoping to talk about it on this podcast, but oh, well, there's a great story. It took me 30, through doing these oral histories, it took me about 35 years to absorb the real story behind the fight over Marble Canyon Dam and Bridge Canyon Dam. We give, we always give Martin Litton and David Brower the credit for that. You know, they're the heroes. They saved the river from being dammed up. But there was an unsung hero there, and that was Stuart Udall. And, and it took me a long time to figure this out, and I figured it out from talking to Jack Curry and Stu Reeder, <laughs> actually. Stuart Udall was the Secretary of the Interior for John F. Kennedy, and it was his idea to build those dams. And when Martin Litton and David Brower raised a big stink, they got the attention of Udall. And the way those dams really got stopped was Udall booked a trip for himself, went down the river with Jack Curry. And changed his mind? Yeah. Jack Curry took him down himself in 1965. And he tells he told a great story there. And I, it took me a long time to, for oh, it to sink in. Yeah. And so Stu Udall goes down the river, looks it all over, and he decides... Nah, this wouldn't be the right thing to do. You know? <laughs> he he couldn't say so in so many words. He comes back up and he tells him, "You guys, the environmental lobby is too strong. If you want the Central Arizona project, you got to give up dams in the Grand Canyon." You know that's what that was all about. Well, the politics of it is the critical mass part of it, and I I think that's a a good story. And and unfortunately, we're Running out of time for this one. But it, to kind of close that out, maybe there is hope that this bipartisan element will go away someday to where they can the, actually the get things done with a, with a central order, with a central cause and a central... Well, the hard part is the cynicism because what, what, we, well, it's, it's, it's what you want is leaders that'll, that'll do something because it's the right thing to do. We've all, we've all kind of lost sight of that. Okay, there's a left, there's a right. I make myself crazy when I'm off the river because I look at Fox News and then I look at CNN, <laughs> you know, trying to get a beat on what's really going on. Right now, it's just whether you win or not. You know where are the where are the statesmen in Washington? Yeah, no, and, yeah. and 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 until I mean, unless we could turn this thing around as a culture, and and you know really agree on well, let's just do the right thing, whatever that is. I mean, I think the planet's in big trouble. Really and, and with that, uh, your insight's depressing, but it's it's appreciated and. Uh, you know, with everybody that is uh, getting in on this first conversation with Lou, he's going to be a reoccurring, hopefully a reoccurring visitor. And some of his interviews are a remarkable thing that I hope to tap in on uh, for you guys. 
uh, with Lou. I, Lou, I can't thank you enough for this first round, but we're just scratching the surface, getting her started on this stuff. Oh, yeah. But uh, I really salute you with this this uh, lifelong work that you've done with these connections with different elements of our history and our community and all these different personalities. You're a treasure trove, to say the least. But thanks for being here. Oh, well, thank you, Brian. <laughs> You're a good old friend. Let a Grand Canyon River trip be your big adventure. Arizona River Runner's three-day, two-night trip gives you the enchantment of a Western ranch experience, the thrill of a helicopter ride through millions of years of geology, and the rush of Colorado River Rapids. Take a weekend to unplug as the Arizona River Runner's talented guides show you the best of what the Grand Canyon has to offer. Visit raftarizona.com to learn more. Big Adventures is produced by Brian Durker, Margaret Knight, and me, Gavin Bookner. Bill Gleckler and his mandolin provide our music. If you like our show, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts.